0: ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend.
1: Hello everyone, I'm Danny Pellegrino.
2: I'm Jenna Brister. And we are back for season
1: four of a very iconic Iconic Podcast. podcast where the two of us recap all the holiday movies we love and some that we don't love so much.
3: Yes, thank you so much for tuning in. Tis the season.
1: That's right. We're covering some classics this year. We are (laughs) recapping the entire Santa Claus trilogy. We're going to be diving into a Halloween movie this year. Yes. Hocus Pocus 2. That's right. The sequel. We also have I'll Be Home for Christmas during Jonathan Taylor Thomas. Mm -hmm. So we are leaning into the home improvement of it all. And if you want to follow along, you can go to Instagram. It's at A Very Merry Iconic Podcast on Instagram. And be sure to listen, subscribe, tell a friend.
3: Have a very merry Iconic day.
0: Acast
1: helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.
3: This is The Relevant
0: Podcast. It's Friday, January 22nd, 2021, and it's The Relevant Podcast. Here in Orlando, I'm your host, Cameron Strang. And before I introduce the cast, I want to tell you that today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Apartment Life. You've got to check out what Apartment Life is doing. They believe every individual is created for a community. So they're building that community among apartment neighbors. They're looking for folks right now who love Jesus, get excited about hospitality, and really take the opportunity to be with people when life gets tough. And get this, they equip you, they walk alongside you, and provide you with either a reduced rent apartment or a part-time salary. You don't want to miss this life-changing opportunity to be the hands and feet of Jesus to neighbors, especially these days. And right now, they have a special offer just for our listeners. If you go to apartmentlife.org relevant, you can apply for this life-giving program, and you can also get 10% off in the Apartment Life swag shop. Go check it out, apartmentlife.org relevant to apply and get 10% off their swag. Like I said, I'm your host, Cameron, and joining me from Loverland, Virginia, is Jesse Carey. Hello, hello. You're really close to D.C. Uh, From Austin, Texas, author, podcaster, Jamie Ivey. Hey, guys. And from Nashville, Tennessee, artist, producer, mogul, Derek Miner. Burp, 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 burp.
2: <laughs> I am living louder and brighter than Lady Gaga's brooch right now, everyone. Did, did you guys peep that brooch? Lady Gaga thing, looked amazing. It it would look, it looked like she dipped a live dove into gold and just pinned it to herself. Like it was a, it, it was a life size What you, dove. it
3: might have been.
0: What are you talking about? I, I didn't see. What At are you the inauguration, about? she she Oh, sang oh Did the that happen hand. this week? Did that happen?
2: <laughs> It's kind of, it, it seems like a lifetime. I've ago. been I've been
0: playing a lot of Candy Crush this week. <laughs> yeah, it, it actually happened,
2: and Lady Gaga took the stage, and before J Lo, which what an upgrade, right? We had Lady Gaga <laughs> and J Lo because uh, if this had the election had gone the other way it'd be it'd be Kevin Sorbo and Diamond and Silk headlining and we just <laughs> <laughs> what a glow Let's up. go what a glow up but anyway she had this brooch on and i'm like dude it looks like that is a like a life size dove it, it, it was just it was swag to the it was the biggest it was the most audacious brooch i've ever seen and
0: i appreciated
2: it i loved well, it i loved know, it
0: you you got to dress for the camera. You got to dress for the size of the venue. You know the scale is different than normal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You <laughs> wow. want to see that
2: from the back of the National Mall? Yeah, you know, all the all our National Guard troops that have created right. an impenetrable fortress. At least they could see it from the back. Giant minus the
0: twenty three that were removed because they. Uh, did you see that? No, the, out of the twenty, it was, it was twenty twenty three. Oh.
3: Because they went through and looked at their backgrounds? (laughs)
0: Yep, and they found 23 of them that were linked to extremist groups in their personal life and so they removed them from guard duty because they thought it was an inside job potential, so.
3: Good, I'm glad.
0: I I, I guess that's not bad,
4: 23 out of 2,500, but I mean, mean, you gotta expect Oh, 25,000, yeah. You gotta expect that they're you know, come on guys.
3: If we learned you anything, guys, if we you learned guys are, any- you guys
4: are shocked. Are you? No. Well, if we learned anything from January six
3: is that the people that you would think would be there, well, they were there, but then the people you would think weren't there, they showed up too. like, you know what I mean? It's like, yeah, you know, for sure. It's, yeah. Ugh.
4: I mean, black folk been telling y'all that, you know, <laughs> I mean, we've been saying it, I mean, for a while about, you know, like the police having like white supremacists and a lot of military guys and <laughs>
2: You, you you gotta
4: listen to black people. You feel me? Like I mean, y'all not
0: shocked by now, though,
2: right? Hey, so so I I do have one inauguration note, Cameron, if it's okay. That we
0: well you don't want to go down the rabbit hole of how white supremacist police uh, police brutality you want to you don't want to open up that can of worms that Derek's lobbing up for you you want to pivot for hey, something no, else no else. We, we can do, do it. no 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 no, no let, let's no, pivot we, we ha- my yeah. my DMs are already in shambles every day
4: I just I the even. last thing I need. Right now is well, more DMs.
2: If we, and, I, and sadly, I mean, in all honesty, I mean, America's horrible reckoning with white supremacy is probably just beginning here. You know what I mean? Like, I, I think there is a, an awareness to Derek's point that, you know, I think a lot of people in different parts of the country or difficult, different political affiliations. You know, either we're unaware of or willfully mm-hmm. ignorant of that mm-hmm. are being exposed. And it's going to be something that is going to be a, a topic of national, con- rightly so, for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I think that reckoning is 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 really kind of coming to the surface.
3: Wait, we just had MLK Day this week. I thought that MLK like got rid of all this stuff. Like, what do you mean, Jesse? <laughs> that's what people are think, for I lo- real. I
4: love Jamie. <laughs> I'm for real, yo. <laughs> Hey, if you know how many times I heard that nonsense.
2: <laughs> hey, Derek, tell me tell me about the DMs situation oh, right now.
0: Like, who, who is it that's bothering to reach out to you privately? Are they thinking that they're going to change your mind? Are they defending... I think they're vent. I think I think a lot of times it's just somebody venting.
4: You know what I mean? Like it, it's. Yeah. So this is the thing. Do I you think take it's pictures
3: this. of them because I take pictures of mine. I can read uh, it.
4: for law uh, enforcement. Just, I just so that <laughs> I can
3: read them, go back and read and see how dumb it is.
4: Like a lot of times, it's someone. So it's it's you get two different people. You get the person that's genuinely trying to convince you that white supremacy isn't white supremacy, and it's like. They're like wow. they're they're wet, it's like they're a fish, they're in water, they have no clue that they're wet, and they are drenched, right. you know they they Got just it. don't know, yeah. but they're trying, you know they're probably good people, you know what I mean they would probably pull you know you know they probably bring me to their house for biscuits and gravy or something like that, you know what I mean, like it's right. like right. super dope, then you have the other people that are just livid that um I would dare you know denounce it or it's like the QAnon guys like you don't see Mm -hmm. the big thing it's about policy it's about this and and and, you know and it's a bunch of like scattered stats and Mm -hmm. really weird things from like dark corners of the internet I have no clue how they got there so Mm -hmm. it's those two people you know
0: what I mean but it's crazy my thing is like why are you following Derek Miner (laughs) I say that all the time I say just unfollow
3: just unfollow
2: But, but, but it's probably, I mean, the, the DMs I'm I'm sure gets exhausting, but I think Derek, it is a positive thing that there are people who obviously think extremely differently than you and have a, you know, have a different worldview, a different lived experience, but still value your art and your voice enough to continue to follow you, even though you continually challenge them. I think that's a credit to, you know, you as a person, but also your ability to, to communicate in a way that's intelligent pointed, but also funny.
4: Yeah, I think people wrestle with the idea that, you know, we live in such a world where you have to be literally right or left. You have to be red or blue. And like, I don't really have a problem with just, I don't really, yeah, I'm like, whatever, you know, if it's stupid to me, I don't care who did it. I'm going to make a joke about it. And I think... They just kind of wrestle with that. And, and, and I'll give people space to wrestle with it. The only way that I'll be like, unfollow me is when you're just like mad disrespectful. Right. Then yeah. I'm going to make a fool out of you uh, I, in right. front of everybody. So, you know. You I know. get
3: this a lot in mine is I'm so very disappointed in you.
4: Right. Like, I really care. I'm like, I don't even... Yeah. I'm like, I did not even know you existed. Okay. Right. Yes. That's <laughs> <some laughs> yeah. energy yes. right there. Why? I, I
0: yeah. talk to Aaron
3: about this all the time. And that like, it's not, like... A, DMs, like, they don't bother me. I don't respond, all those things. But when someone says, I'm so disappointed in you, there's something there that's like, wow, that kind of hurts a little bit deeper. Like, you're so disappointed in me. I don't, and I think people just feel like because Instagram is so like visual that they have this, like like I would be welcoming to their disappointment, but I don't actually know them, you know? And it, I think it puts, yeah. people just think they know you.
0: Uh, do you give them space to that affect you? I mean, because to me, I'm like, you don't know me. Your opinion or approval or disapproval does not factor into my My well being at all. I don't care. I I take it like
3: this. If you're not going to take advice from someone, like you can't take criticism from them either. And I don't know you. And so the fact that you're disappointed in me, sometimes I'll be honest, it does sting a little like, man, like I don't remember the last time someone looked me in the eyes and said, Jamie, you're such a disappointment. And so it feels different, but I also like, I'm like, I don't, Jan, I don't know you. And so that's fine.
4: Yeah, I think that's the thing I like for me. So I get, I'm disappointed in you or, I'm never buying your albums again. And I'm like, one, you probably never bought them. So that's number one. (laughs) Two, it's $10. I already got it. Thank you. I appreciate (laughs) you. And you know what I mean? So I'm kind of at that level. But with the disappointment thing, I think the thing for me is like, I'm more like, yeah, I'm like, I don't know you. Like, I didn't even know you existed until you tweeted or you Instagram. So it's like, I'm not even trying to be a jerk, but I've kind of, like my mom says I'm disappointed in you, different. Exactly. My friends say I'm disappointed in you, different. Exactly. Random guy that's mad that I that um I won't engage in his white supremacy that's disappointed in me. Thank thank you. I'm glad you're disappointed in me because I don't for re- me, wouldn't want for you to me, be proud of me. You know?
0: I've I've like made I made an intentional shifts in the last couple of years where I have people around me that I've asked and invited in to say Hey, help me see my blind spots. Yes. Point out if I hit the hit the bumper braille. You know, help me see what I'm not seeing. And over the last two years, I've gotten calls and texts from those friends saying, hey, buddy, I saw this thing you posted. you doing okay? You know, that kind of thing. And I'll listen to them because 100%. I trust them. There's a relationship there and I've invited that. Yep. But if somebody's gonna say something on the internet, I just block them or mute them like I don't care like I don't need this so like I just you know
2: when someone tells me Jesse I'm disappointed in you whether it's a perfect stranger (laughs) online or someone in my life I go like this I get that. I, that's honestly fair. That's fair. I'm disappointed too. Quite that's a, awesome. good call. That is a good call. Jesse just owes g- it. We're both, uh, uh, both disappointed. Yeah, in me. <laughs> yeah uh, it's mutual. We share. <laughs> I think we share. I don't know what you're disappointed about, but the whole dis—I get that. And yeah. you know, I've been trying enough.
4: to lose ten pounds for ten years. I'm
3: disappointed in myself. <laughs> <Yeah>. too.
2: <laughs> there's a lot I'm disappointed in. You know what? Though I, I, I thought for now, I, I I thought by now I would have I would have won the lottery or come up with some been a part of a cool bank heist that just hasn't right. shaken out. I'm disappointed right. too, friend. Yeah, yeah.
4: But I realize some of that is also emotional manipulation. Like they're mm. saying that you can't be disappointed. It's that mom as, energy. It's, and that, it's I
3: mean,
2: behind a I, screen.
3: You can say anything to anybody that you don't have to look them in the eyes.
4: Yeah, and how can you be disappointed in me if we don't know each other? Like you don't, you literally have no, you don't know who I am. So how can you be disappointed in me? It's emotional manipulation because they want to make you lament from what you said and then go back and then do what, do what they want right yeah. like it's not based in any truth or whatever So i'm not I'm, I'm be manipulated by some random
3: no cameron you ask me if it bothers me that doesn't bother me you know what does bother me when someone sends me a message though and this is when i might send back an angry dm that i regret the next morning <laughs> is when someone calls into question my love for jesus like mm-hmm. you walked away from the truth like someone the one they sent me like that said, like her final after a whole like literally long page, friend. We're not friends. I don't know. I've never met her. Friend, you are looking more like the world in your preaching. I pray that the Spirit guide you back. Like when someone calls into question like my faith mm. and my love for the Word and Jesus, yeah. that's when I'm like, you don't know me. Like you don't know. Nuh-uh.
0: Jamie, you do have a tattoo. <laughs> I have a lot of tattoos. I guess, and I
2: drink milkshakes. You know, I wonder. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I will say this I've been on the other side of it. there's been people I've been disappointed in and I've deleted the DM you know my pillow guy I was like bro <laughs> You're out there slinging pillows. That's fine. I respect the game. We're right now, pretty disappointed in the whole overthrowing of Western democracy thing. I'm disappointed, friend. You know,
0: uh, I'm like, I'm, I. We need to get into pillows because he's got private jets, and I, hey, I, hey, I got to get it popping. I need to make me a, a pillow. That's of tomorrow. pillows that he's got to sell. You know what I'm saying? To pay for just the gas on that flight to go to DC, <laughs> I'm just going. That's a lot of pillows. That must be a pretty know? dang good pillow. I've heard it's not. Yeah. I've heard the pillow is not that great. What are a, more, you serious?
2: I read a review. It's, I read a my pillow review, and they said it's just
0: a bunch of like crumbs. It's like a bunch of like foam crumbs, and so you can like do whatever, but it's like bumpy and like 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 oatmeal. You know, like just Ugh. chunky. Ugh. It's a chunky pillow. Who wants a chunky pillow? pillow?
2: The, the, hey, Derek. The review I read was some. It may have had some partisan bias because I believe the line was something. <laughs> I got I got robbed of more sleep by Mike Lindell's pillow than his absurd claims about uh, overthrowing democracy.
4: Oh, about yeah. My yeah. worries about him over there. That democracy. person probably doesn't even have a pillow.
0: All right. Well, we have a great show in store for you today. You know, I was going to start things off by going, hey, inauguration behind yeah. us. The 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 turbulent political era is over. We can move forward and this will be a political free zone Y'all, know, you it's going to be fun again. The Realm Podcast is going to be fun again. Well, guess what? Our guest today is going to bring some important content that we need to wrestle with as a church. Dr. Russell Moore is joining us today. He's a preacher. uh, He's a preacher. He's the president of the Mm -hmm. Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. Um, We're going to talk about how the church can rise above divisiveness and how we actually can move forward as a big C church. Uh, a very important conversation.
3: I love Dr. Moore so much. I'm such a fan of his, so I'm glad he's on here.
0: Me too. I mean, there's only been a handful of voices honestly in church leadership over the last 4 to 6 years. I'd put Beth Moore in this category, Dr. Russell Moore unrelated in this category. But there's been very few voices that have been speaking truth and love, but like, you know, speaking out like, hey, the church has gotten off track here, and R- Dr. Moore is one of them and we're honored to have him today. Can I make one more
2: quick Inauguration note. Before we move on, and one put this final chapter one behind us. Are you yeah, watching forever. it right now as we record, Jesse? No, oh. I was watching it earlier, right before earlier, and and yeah, I was yeah just to give everybody in,
0: context, we are recording on Wednesday midday right now. The inauguration is yeah. happening, so
2: and, and and I still kind of have my nose out for for y stories, uh, whatever. And I, and I thought the story of. I didn't know anything about the Bibles that when you get sworn in as president, you you know, obviously you place your hand on a Bible and you can provide your own. And the one that uh, now President Biden used was a 127 year old family heirloom. It's like a phone book. It was ginormous. It was huge. It was massive. It's been in his family for 130 years, basically. Wow. Um, it's got a lot of history. But if you're an incoming president, you can you can use one that has sort of a sentimental value, or you can use like George Washington's Bible. But I was thinking about like, I'm very excited for the first millennial president, like the first president who is currently a millennial, because I want to see them on the stairs of the Capitol with one of those hot pink teen study Bibles. <laughs> and so like, this is the heirloom. <laughs> this is... I I carry this through youth. A, true, a true love yeah. waits. Bible. Yeah, the I true love, Yeah, the claim your territory adventure. But, you know. Every, <laughs>
1: listen,
2: listen. I solemnly swear <laughs> on this every man's battle. Acquire the fire. New Testament and Proverbs and Psalms. Does someone have an Old Testament? <laughs> the every the every man's battle Bible. Gideon's <laughs> Bible. Protect the Constitution.
0: Yeah, I love it. I love Maybe,
2: it. So so I I, just think that would be a very nice gesture for fellow millennials who grew up going to youth group, acquire the fire and then reading BuzzFeed articles. I just feel like that would, <laughs> you know, really kind of unite that generation behind. a. a I agree. Leader. I agree.
0: All right. Well, in addition to uh, Dr. Moore, we also have Relevant Recommends, our new segment, What's Jesse Thinking? And up next, stay tuned, it's Relevant News. You're listening to Knox Fortune. The song is Compromise. Well, today's episode is brought to you by podcast creation platform, Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor yet, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. First of all, it's free. There are custom tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will then distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and every major platform. The cool thing is you can also make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Okay, it's time for... Please welcome to the show Relevant Senior Editor, Tyler Huckabee, to bring us uh, what's happening at the intersection of faith and culture this week. Hey, Tyler, anything going on?
5: <laughs>
2: I feel like every week
5: we, we get together, we kick one of these off with a... Uh, with a uh, there's so much happening right now. And we're not talking about any of it because we don't even know what's going (laughs) to because I don't know what's going to be happening by Friday. By the time people listen to this, you know, as as we speak, uh, the president and the new vice president are being sworn in to a new inauguration. And they have a very ambitious 24 day plan ahead of them today. They got a busy day. uh, But but obviously by Friday, the time people hear this, they're going to know more about what went on than we do right now. So we're not talking (laughs) about it
0: we literally Tyler and I got together before the show to talk about relevant news. And we're just going down the list of all the stuff we're covering at relevant today. And, uh, and we were like, it was so many big, important things. And I was just like, I don't know. Can we find something that's not so important? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we all are following important stuff. Well, let's I miss I miss our old news, you know? So anyway.
5: So we did find something and this actually happened. Uh, this came out just ahead of last weekend and it's it's big news and it kind of got buried underneath all the other things that are happening, but it is important and it's a story that we've been following for a while here at Relevant and uh, we're going to talk about a non-controversial topic, the National Rifle Association. Uh, so, the, <laughs> oh, you just go, i bet <laughs> we're, we're turning down. We're turning down the volume here at Relevant Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. It, crank about, it, crank it,
4: crank it up.
5: Uh, so, the NRA, you um, is one of the famously one of the most powerful and influential advocacy groups in the U.S. Or it was. It filed for bankruptcy last Friday as part of a massive organizational restructuring. The group is actually moving from New York City, where it's been for many many years to Texas, which is kind of surprising. They weren't already there, honestly. The NRA head, Wayne LaPierre, Lisa statement. this is what he said. He said, quote, Today, the NRA announced a restructuring plan that positions us for the long term and ensures our continued success as the nation's leading advocate for constitutional freedom, free from the toxic political environment of New York. Uh, he said, under the plan, the NRA will continue what we've always done, Confronting the anti-gun, anti-self-defense, and anti-hunting activities and promoting the constitutional advocacy... That helps law-abiding Americans. Our work will continue as it always has. No major changes are expected to the NRA's operations or workforce. Now, uh, that's that's a lot of words, but there's obviously a very big story behind all this. This move follows last year's really astonishing lawsuit from New York Attorney General Letitia James, who alleged a $64 million fraud among higher ups at the NRA, claiming they diverted charitable donations to irresponsible personal spending on behalf of the executive team, uh the NRA's lobbying might once was vast, it unnerved a lot of politicians who liked to talk about gun law reform but really couldn't get around the amount of money this group had, but the group's stubborn inaction in the wake of America's pre-pandemic spate of mass shootings turned public opinion against them, and the financial scandals stripped them of much of their seeming invincibility. The Texas move feels like an opportunity for a regroup, but whether they'll ever be able to regain their former power remains to be seen. Uh, t- hmm. Tyler,
2: can you reread the <clears throat> what the actual charge of fraud is the the way you phrased it? Because I actually think that is personally the most interesting. I feel like, look, man, it, 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 there's a, there's a lot of people who have a lot of thoughts about gun ownership, sure. you know. But I feel like one of the most interesting parts of of, of this story. Re- read that line
5: one more time, Tyler. Sure. So the summary is it's a sixty four million dollar fraud. Uh claiming the NRA has diverted charitable donations to irresponsible personal spending on behalf of the executive team. Uh I do have mm. a, a link to more if you want to read more about that lawsuit, you can check it out relevantmagazine.com. And it's pretty astonishing. It's a, it's some pretty wild claims about just how much NRA the NRA's executive team spent on things like vacations and dinners and fancy drinks. Well, he, here's why I feel like that
2: charge is so interesting and could have implications beyond just kind of discussions about the you know ethics of of gun ownership in America. Because I wonder how many ministries could or or large religious institutions dun, dun, dun. could also have that same charge levied at them. Maybe not to the tune of sixty four million dollars, sure. but executive spending donor money to, for lavishness is it's like that's that's beyond common you know what I'm saying like <laughs> how many other charitable donations particularly religious ones who you know who oftentimes treat ministers as if they're like rock star Evans is like you know <clears throat> 90s era Bono going to one of those concerts where they have a stage that you know encircles a stadium it's like they, they, a lot of a lot of people in the nonprofit space particularly the religious nonprofit space treat their executives like celebrities And if an organization like the NRA, which doesn't, you know, obviously have, you know, direct religious uh, affiliations, can can come under scrutiny and ultimately bring their organization to bankruptcy because of charges of fraud, again, how many other ministries or religious institutions? Institutions which operate as nonprofits, could this also be levied against? Because I think we've all been to churches where it's like, well, how much did the did it cost the, the helicopter the pastor in this morning? You know what I mean,
5: like
2: I get I get he's got the eleven o'clock service after the nine, and it'd be quicker to do the helicopter than it is to to, to drive. But at the same time, What's that? How much does it cost to fuel a helicopter? You know what I mean? <laughs> like, if this can bring the NRA, you, you know, scrutiny. Imagine how many, uh, like, basically, like, prosecutors, if they wanted
5: to, could levy the same thing at 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 some mega churches.
2: You know?
0: Yeah,
2: but shows sure. there, there's.
5: A couple of organizations that do keep an eye on that for churches and and uh, religious organizations. I think the biggest one is called Church Clarity, who try to keep tabs on things like that. And You can check their website for churches that release that information. And obviously not all of them do. And obviously there's, there's discretionary spending, right? You can take your staff out to a dinner or something like that. But we're talking about in the case of the NRA here, sixty four million dollars. Like that's a lot it's a of, lot nice of money. a lot dinners. That's a whole
0: lot of whole lot of dinners. I, I'm I'm intrigued too, though you know the headline was NRA declares bankruptcy, and you know people who are more for gun control uh, or reason common sense gun control it celebrated that you know like yay they're going away, and then their statement is nothing's going to change. I'm like, wait, what? You know, so like I'm I'm curious how this will all play out, and if yeah. They're just trying to put up a positive front, but they really are struggling and 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 limping into nah, the future. I don't know. Are they moving
3: yeah. to Dallas, Tyler?
5: I don't think they know yet. Oh, okay. Just, gen, just Texas generally. It feels like a Dallas. feels like a Dallas, like a Dallas, Dallas move. If I'm, NRA, if I'm Wayne LaPierre, I'm going I'm to, Dallas, to Dallas. I'm heading to Dallas, yeah. yeah. Maybe Houston, but probably Dallas. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They are. Well, they've seen a big dip in funding. There, it does. There's obviously some spin going on in that statement from Wayne Lapierre. Like nobody declares sure. bankruptcy because things are going well, right? Uh, there's, <laughs> yeah. Like there's nothing bad happening. But are they going to? Are they going to vanish? Eh, not if they have anything to say about it. Obviously, but it's a really different time for the NRA than it was. And uh, it does seem like that they have failed to stay sort of ahead of the culture and they've been very reactionary instead of proactive, which is what somebody in their position would obviously want to be. So if they can change the culture of the NRA, become a lobbying firm for reasonable gun control, which they could maybe make that kind of pivot. Uh, then they could be back around, but they're obviously not going to, especially with an incoming Democratic administration. Joe Biden has talked a lot about gun control uh, while well, he's been on the campaign trail. He probably has plans on that front, and they're probably not going to have a whole lot of sway with this administration.
0: Yeah, I mean, it is interesting that Gen Z, the top two issues to them are climate change and gun control yeah. and, you know, the the cultural you know, shift is is inevitable in that mm-hmm. in that way. So it'll be interesting to see how relevant the NRA you know becomes as the, honestly their base ages out. You know,
2: yeah. Yeah. Bases aging out again. That could go to a lot of organizations right now that are going to have to look long and hard about mm-hmm. how they position what they do and who they're serving. You know, and right. I think that's a good thing. You know, I mean, look, it's it's the, the younger generation is inheriting the, you know, not just <clears throat> our economy and our environment. But also the, the social institutions that, that uh, you know, kind of dictate day to day American life. And so the, as they kind of come into ownership of stuff, I think a lot of organizations are going to need to rethink their approach to, to their general mission to make sure it's actually affecting the people that are going to kind of carry the torch. You know,
0: It, it is interesting in the, all the tumult of the last year, especially with COVID and uh, the political, you know, the election year and all that we haven't heard much about gun control or gun reform because there haven't been the mass shootings that prompted the outcry and the mass shootings haven't happened because kids, kids are aren't in school. in school and there aren't big gatherings. And it just, so it's just interesting that as life gets back to normal, that g- gun issues and violence are going to become more mm-hmm. of the conversation. Um, as COVID wanes, other forms of violence will probably reemerge. And it's scary to think about, but... Scary. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks, Tyler. There's a lot more where that came from. You can check out all of our daily coverage at RelevantMagazine.com and follow us on all the socials. Stay tuned. Up next, Dr. Russell Moore joins us. Good Listening to Crowder. The song is Good God Almighty. Well, Dr. Russell Moore is an author and head of the Ethics and Religious Liberty Commission. Uh, We recently talked to him about his thoughts on how he's praying for a new administration and how the church can rise above divisiveness moving forward. He has been an important and leading voice in this conversation about Christian nationalism and church and politics. Here's part of our conversation with Dr. Russell Moore.
5: Okay, so in your, uh, your piece that you wrote about the events that happened at the Capitol, the attempted insurrection... Um, you said you wanted to avoid the idea of saying, I told you so with regards to the Trump administration. Can you unpack that idea a little more? why don't you want to say I told you so?
1: Well, I think that it's not helpful uh, to uh, say to one another, I told you so precisely because we ought to be open to changing our minds on all kinds of things. And so I, I don't like the, a mentality that goes around a lot right now, which is to say, if you are on the other side of me on whatever, you can never uh, then, well, we can never be together. Not just that we can never work together on some other issues, but we can never work together on this issue because I don't expect you to ever change your mind. And I, I think that's, I look back at a lot of people in my life uh, where I would think very differently than I would have before who gave me an on-ramp uh, to be able to see their point of view. And uh, I'm, I'm really grateful that they didn't give up on me and say, you can never change your mind.
5: How should Christians prioritize that kind of unity? How should we uh, should we have disagreements that come before unity yet? How do we have discernment about that?
1: Well, I think if we look back uh, at the New Testament, many of these questions were there then. And so, I think if we look at if there are um, if there are issues that are going to cause um, the gospel to be compromised in terms of our witness to the outside world or to one another, uh, that's in a very different category than differences of opinion that we might have uh, with with one another. And when there are issues that are going to hurt vulnerable people, um, I, I can't say it's divisive to talk about caring for the man who is beaten on the side of the road to Jericho. Uh, we have to show mercy, uh, even if that mercy is seen to be divisive. And then I think if you, if one looks at um, let say book of Romans, there's a different categorization of some things that are essential to our unity. And then other things uh, Paul talks about, uh, Uh, the eating only of vegetables, where we shouldn't uh, bind one another's consciences and we ought to to move forward in disagreement. And frankly, we all have those categorizations just in the way that we live our life. Um, we're, We're willing to sit around the dinner table and disagree about all kinds of things, but we wouldn't disagree on issues about whether or not arson in our house is okay, or, or, or so forth. So I think we all do that every day. You
5: know, something that stuck out to me, is you also mentioned in your writing, this idea of being very lonely because of your beliefs about uh, the Trump administration. This is something that we are relevant, have heard a lot of uh, people who who have these convictions about politics that tend to make them feel isolated. Uh, What would you say to people who are maybe feeling cut off from their their community, their church, maybe even their family because of what they believe?
1: I've heard from Tons of people. I mean, over the years, but maybe especially uh, this week, who um, have felt it's a different kind of loneliness because it's it's not just that one has a different point of view than someone else. It's because we're in a moment where often that point of view is responded to with a threat of exile, which is to say, if you're not, uh, I mean, even just abstracting a little bit from the president, uh, we're in a moment where politics is so ultimate feeling uh, to everyone um, that this becomes a tribal identification. If you're not completely and 100% on board with me, then that means that you're not uh, part of me. And so that can lead to a, a real uh, sense of, of isolation. Um, when people are saying, if you're not on board with this, then you're something different than what we are. And there's a sense of pain uh, that that comes along with that.
5: You mentioned the hyper-politicization of the church. Do you have any sense historically of how this happened? How did politics and Christianity become so intertwined, so synonymous?
1: I think for much In much the same way that, say, Protestant liberalism uh, de-emphasized the supernatural um, because of what seemed more real in in terms of uh, neighbor love abstracted from uh, love of God. It's a very easy thing to happen. And it has happened in American evangelicalism where political identity seems more real Um, which is one of the reasons why, uh, and this predates the Trump era by a lot. I I remember saying over a decade ago that I know congregations uh, where Sunday school classes were divided over Sarah Palin in far greater numbers than I knew uh, churches where Sunday school classes were divided over the Trinity or hypostatic union or uh, or, or, uh, something else. And so I think that's part of it. And then the other part of it is that political, uh, especially the sort of political, I I don't want to use the word activism because that gives the impression that people are being active. The sort of armchair uh, political punditry that, that everyone does now can give an illusion of life.
5: A theory you run into a lot is that part of the way that this happened is because Protestants, particularly evangelicals, have become very interested in the apocalyptic in, in the Book of Revelations and uh, Daniel, uh, and then they've mapped this idea, a lot of theories around the end times, onto politics. Do you think there's any truth to that theory?
1: No, I think I think it's uh, I think it's the I think it's actually the opposite of that. I think that people who don't have a sense of the apocalyptic in the biblical sense of the apocalyptic replace it with something that's apocalyptic in the, in the pop culture way. And so if, if one actually looks at the actual apocalypse in uh, the book of Revelation, uh, what one sees is a, a peering behind the veil that, uh, that says to people who are in a really difficult situation in the Roman Empire, the ones who are seated on thrones uh, with the, the reigning Lord Jesus are those who are beheaded. So there's a different sense of triumph and a different sense of winning than, than what one would see from Caesar. And so you can endure. This is uh, that, that message is being given so often in the apocalypse. This is a call to endurance to those who can overcome. I remember saying to my wife when I first came into this position, if you ever hear me say the words... This is the most important presidential election in our lifetime. Here are the people to call to come take the keys away from me because I've been hearing that all my life. But that happens also, I see that happening in churches where some disagreement with the pastor uh, turns into this, uh, this moment where the future of our church is at stake all the time And often I find myself saying to, I said this not long ago to someone, you have lost the ability to say, "Ah, I'm just kind of irritated by that, as opposed to this is either something I love or this is an existential threat to me that we will not survive and nothing else. That's unhealthy, I think.
5: We've talked a lot about what's gotten us to this point. Uh, let's talk about the future a little bit. What do you think needs to happen in the American church to pull ourselves and this country out of the spiral?
1: Well, I think part of it is if, if, if one thinks about the uh, old book, Exit, Voice, and Loyalty, um, uh, about the fact that um, one can often choose to exit— or to remain and to exercise a voice. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we have to be the people who are choosing voice um, more than we're choosing exit. And I think right now there are many people who have grown discouraged and they've grown uh, cynical and they're just leaving. And they're just, I mean, I, 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 I'm having this conversation every day um, with, with people. And so I would just say we can't give up Uh, We have to really understand that this is important for us to stay in this and for, um, and I think that what tends to happen sometimes is that the people who are the most, I mean, it's the same thing if you look at these these sort of uh, city council meetings or town hall meetings that we would see uh, so often during COVID, where people are coming to the microphone and uh, screaming, uh, wearing a mask is a violation and COVID's a hoax or whatever. It's usually not the majority of people in that town. uh, But those are the people who show up to the town hall meeting and and who get behind the microphone. And everyone else is just sort of living their lives. We have to come to the microphones, uh, including the people who are seeing things um, in a a different way
0: that was Dr. Russell Moore stay tuned up next it's Relevant Recommends and then what's Jesse thinking
4: Vision we are an unusual couple
2: we don't have a song or even wedding rings well we could
0: rather do that I do.
2: Do you? I do.
5: Every week on Relevant Recommends, we recommend a new album, book, show, movie, or even a video game. It's got our attention, and we think it's worth your time. This week, we're talking about the Marvel Cinematic Universe's first real foray into TV, Disney Plus's WandaVision. So one of the complaints you hear about Marvel movies is that it's hard to know what's going on if you haven't seen them all, and that's super fair. Uh, The MCU is more like a very expensive TV show with two-hour episodes, and uh, and just because you're only interested in, say, Black Panther stuff doesn't mean you can skip the Ant-Man stuff if you really want to follow along. Now, WandaVision, the MCU's first real foray into actual TV, kind of subverts this critique a little. It might be easier to follow along with if you're unfamiliar with what came before. So the show kicks off playing like a straightforward 1960s sitcom, most obviously echoing the likes of Bewitched and The Donna Reed Show. Wanda, played by Elizabeth Olsen, and Vision, Paul Bettany, have settled into an idyllic pastiche of golden age sitcom suburbs, complete with overbearing neighbors and demanding bosses, a canned laugh track, and even separate beds. Of course, in the tradition of the shows they're taking cues from, the happily married couple isn't as normal as they seem. Vision's a robot. Wanda's got reality, manipulating powers, and uh, those are both the source of plenty of neighborhood hijinks, but of course everything gets happily wrapped up by the time the credits roll and Vision gives Wanda a little peck on the rosy cheeks and everything goes back to normal, or does it? Two episodes in and the show only drops a few sparse hints that all is not quite as it seems. A splash of color in the black and white here, an ominous beekeeper there, and every now and then a glitch in the Matrix in which all the happy clappy going on gets a little creepily plastic. Uh, There's some clear homages to David Lynch in those. Now, Marvel diehards might recognize a few clues as to what's really going on here, but even the biggest comic book nerds are in the dark about just who or what is pulling the strings. Anyone who's seen the most recent Avengers movies knows that something's clearly up because we all saw Vision die, twice actually, in Infinity War, so what's going on? That's why this show might be more interesting for casual fans who come to it looking for some fun throwbacks to the Nick at Night era of TV and a juicy mystery creeping at the edges than it would be for anyone who looks for uh, like a superheroics. So far, there's no spandex, there's no explosions, there's no talking raccoons, there's no thunder gods. The special effects are practical. The stakes don't get higher than preparing a nice dinner or winning the neighborhood talent show. And what there is is, is just wonderful. Elizabeth Olsen doing really good work. She fully inhabits her new role as a doting housewife and uh, is clearly do- she does her best work, really, whenever the facade starts to slip and she has to try to to keep things under control. Katherine Hahn also doing really good work. She's a treat. She's really, clearly enjoying herself. Uh, the opportunity to ham it up as a nosy neighbor named Agnes. And we've seen enough footage from upcoming episodes to know the show is planning to do a tour through sitcom eras. We've got throwbacks to shows like The Brady Bunch and Family Ties, Sabrina the Teenage Witch, and of course the Olsen Family Launchpad Full House are all in the works. It seems inevitable that at some point the show will lurch into full-blown superhero stuff, But for the time being, it's a very ambitious and really, really fun exploration of comic book melodrama and television history. We recommend it. That's all for this week. Check out more Relevant Recommends at relevantmagazine.com.
0: Two emotional oranges featuring a child. Song is bona fide. Okay, it's time for our brand new third installment of our new segment. What's Jesse thinking? Huh? Hey Jesse. This week, what are you thinking?
2: I'll tell you what I was thinking first. If I was in Marine One flying away, like at what point am I like, hey, uh, excuse me, Mr. Marine Corporal. I think I left the phone charger next to the bed. Can I just pop in the Lincoln room real quick? I was doing so. I that's my one good charger. I marked it. It says my name on it. Okay? Like that's how important it is. I marked it. There's two little dots. That means it's mine, okay? So no one else's. Can we just circle back? What? Losing a charger is the worst. Okay. You get one, you get one with the iPhone, okay? But just pop in real quick. Joe won't even know I'm there. I just need to peek in. Grab it. It's right by the bedside table. He won't even know I'm there. No, I was thinking that, but that's not what I'm thinking today. Okay, what I'm thinking is there may be a really weird solution to the national debt crisis. Uh, So, Hmm. As you guys may be aware uh, right now, because of a variety of factors, including, uh, you know, a lot of the culmination of a lot of policy decisions, you know, from stimulus packages to tax cuts. The, the, the result has been a national debt that has never been higher. It is terrifyingly high right now.
0: Um, Four years ago is 19 trillion dollars. And today it's 28 trillion dollars.
2: That's a lot yes. of trillions. Yeah. You said so, what?
0: So,
4: run that back one more time.
2: Yeah. Four years so, ago,
0: our national debt was 19 trillion dollars, and today is 28 trillion dollars. It has grown nine trillion in the last four years because of what Jesse said: policy and economic challenges and whatnot.
2: Yeah, and and, and most of that money, you know how that money works is the United States borrows money from other a lot of times other nations, and you know those nations charge interest, and it's been a pretty safe bet, but for those other nations lending money, but as uh, you know, incoming lawmakers are trying to think about solutions where they can provide stimulus to the American people and particularly small businesses who have suffered pretty dramatically under COVID. You know, part of the the sticking point is well, how much do we give to the American people? You know, we saw a first bill that passed that was like six hundred dollars. Then they, you know, I think uh, the Biden administration wants to do one for fourteen hundred. There's been talk of a two thousand dollars stimulus, but the the, the problem it always comes back to is well, where's this money gonna come yeah. from we're gonna have to borrow more it's gonna add some trillions to the to the to the mounting debt well uh, you guys know me I love weird stories about weird loopholes and people deciding to do weird things and I am all about an idea that could uh, solve all of these problems because of a strange loophole that Congress passed in 1997 that gave the Secretary of the Treasury the authority to mint platinum coins now it only applies to platinum coins and the reason is because these that's the metal that they like to make commemorative coins out of and mm-hmm. you can so the the government can make these kind of nostalgic looking collectible coins so like let's say they wanted to fund the building of a monument or something okay you could mm-hmm. do the price of that you could figure out what the price of the monument was and say hey we're going to do a run of golden eagle you know, Martin Luther King monument, $10 coins, and it would have an eagle. You know what I'm saying? Like they would sell it and it would help funding. Well, some enterprising uh, uh, economists are floating a very interesting idea. If anyone's interested, Radiolab did a really interesting story on this two weeks ago. Uh, so these economists have thought of a really interesting idea that could give us a loophole to uh, come up with a couple trillion dollars to immediately give to the American people without incurring the national debt. And this, I love this story so much. The idea is that Congress would pass a law that would say that the Secretary of the Treasury must mint a trillion dollar platinum coin, maybe two. And at that point, the 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 Federal Reserve would have to they would pass a law that the Federal Reserve would have to purchase these trillion dollar coins from the the, the Treasury Department and immediately creating out of nothing $2 Two trillion dollars, and the backing of those two trillion dollars would be two different platinum coins, and that money would be used for the stimulus. So a lot of economists are thinking are, are like, okay, we know what everyone's concerned here is: instant inflation, right? You're just creating money out of nothing. We already do that, and according to a lot of the research from really smart economists, that they not they don't think that this would actually cause inflation because inflation has been so flat, and the the mechanisms that typically cause inflation. Are, are are actually, in practice, not what really causes money to lose its value. It's not the more money that goes into the system, uh, you know, increases the, the ability to purchase commodities. It's that consumer expectations. If they think prices are going to get high, that's right. why they get high. And mm. so it is a really interesting solution. My only thing is... Someone's got to look after these coins, okay? Like, could you imagine being the guy at the Treasury Department? Like, hey, listen, no big deal. I don't want to worry anyone. But has anyone seen, eh, it's about that big uh, eagle on one side, a monument on the other. Platinum says one trillion, got a bunch of zeros on it. No big deal. I lost it by my phone charger. Yeah, it, I, it's got to be around here, guys. It's got to be around here. Got, there's only two of them, and one is missing. So,
0: no, but it is... But why don't they just print 28 of them?
2: Well, they could. Theoretically, they could. But the idea is they would start with one or two just to kind of understand the economic impact they would have.
0: So we we drive up the debt and then we pay it off by making making new making new money. Like, well, just well, like
2: well, we... well so, so they're not suggesting doing it to the extent that we would pay off the national debt, right? They're doing it as a mechanism to instantly create stimulus money. Um, And be, because if you were to pay off the entire debt with it, then you could be yeah. running into inflation. But if you just did a couple, you could actually the case is with two coins. Think about how crazy that is two coins you could turn the entire hypothetically infuse 2 trillion dollars into the economy instantly this is such a weird i just love that there's a weird loophole for collectible coins and because of that loophole we might save the economy that is a crazy and awesome i you know just
0: concept the thing that's crazy is if you start doing this and and you make your money i mean the the us dollar is like kind of underwrites yeah. The global, you know, currency market. If you just start like manufacturing more money, then your money gets worthless, and then you turn into like what's going on in Nigeria or which,
2: Venezuela, where they have Venezuela. I mean,
0: like five dollars in the U.S. is two thousand dollars in Nigeria yeah. in Nigerian dollars, and there and Nigeria has an annual inflation rate of like twelve to fifteen percent every year. I mean, it's just like it's just their money's worthless, and so you. I mean, five dollars is now two thousand. It didn't used to be like that. I mean, so like that. Yeah. If that happens in the U.S., Just, the whole global currency market kind of collapses.
2: Well, well, that that's that's what economists are actually saying. That probably, if if they do it in small enough uh, uh, proportions, that won't be a concern because unlike Venezuela and unlike Nigeria. The American economy isn't based on, you know, Venezuela, part part of the reason why they, and, and the same thing with Nigeria, is one, they were instability contributed to the loss of value of their currency. Right. But also, they backed their currency in a hard commodity, which happened to be oil, which when a global pandemic hit, oil lost almost all its value mm. because uh, no one's traveling and burning it. And ours is backed so, by
0: gold, right? Yeah. Gold it, well, it yeah. was.
2: It was. But actually, we went off the gold standard, Uh, you know, uh, I think it was about is 70 or 80 years ago. And so there's actually nothing backing it other than the strength of the American economy. So that's why they think these two gold, these two platinum coins could potentially offer a, 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 a fresh. So way if our economy stays stimulus.
0: strong, our dollar stays strong. So exactly. you can print more dollars and they're strong. That's interesting
2: but it, it, they're probably not going to do this coin thing because they don't do cool stuff. They don't do just cool random stuff. They'd be like, dude, two trillion dollar platinum coins. That's like the plot of a movie right there because someone's going to go steal them. It's going to be awesome. Yes. We got a coin heist. Okay. It's a whole Netflix series. Coin heist. I'm in. Who's the main guy? Not it? Have... Who's, who's, who's the main guy? Gerard Butler. No question. <laughs> Gerard Butler. Like straight to DVD, straight to VOD coin heist starring Gerard Butler. Um, so <laughs> that's just Gerard Butler any kind of the hi, it's, J, Jamie the answer for any question that it's an espionage thriller or a heist movie is Gerard Butler okay, okay. okay. and it's like and is Kevin this straight Hart. to VOD yeah, yeah. okay, okay. Kevin star Kevin star. Hart. sorry <laughs> Kevin we steal, we're going <laughs> we those two coins yeah <laughs> it's gonna be good um yeah, yeah. Gerard Butler like lowers Kevin Hart down into like the yes, national mint, yes, like through the duck work, and he gets stuck in there. Hey, get me out <laughs> of your gas! He's stuck in there with the coins. No, but here's a here's another solution. Okay, this one's easy. You call up every cabinet secretary first day in office. All right? Secretary of Education, Defense, all of them. Get them together and be like, "Here's your envelope. Here's your envelope. Here's your envelope." On the outside is a number and that's how much cash is in there. Go the Ramsey system, okay? <laughs> we'll have a balanced budget because everyone's just got an envelope full of cash. Once out, you're out of luck till next payday, chief. So, here's here's the thing. We either do the envelope system or the two go or the two coins. I don't see another way here, and I'm down for either, okay? They're both fantastic or, ideas, and really cool. Or
0: we can just, you know, spend less than we generate, and then use the surplus to pay off the debt oh over time. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> We
2: want the trillion-dollar collector coins because I want to be involved in a trillion-dollar coin heist. Is that too much to <laughs> ask? It'd
0: be awesome. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right. Well, that'll do it for this week's.
2: What's
3: Jesse thinking?
0: Well, many thanks to Dr. Russell Moore for joining us today. Make sure to follow him on Twitter at Dr. Moore. It's D-R-M-O-O-R-E. Just an important voice out there. Stay connected with him. Also, uh, while you're connecting, make sure to check out the all-new Relevant Recommends column every Friday at RelevantMagazine.com. It'll be what you just heard, plus more of the picks about what we're into this week at Relevant. Go check it out. And while you're there, make sure to check out the new issue of Relevant. The January-February issue features Pharrell on the cover and some other great content. You can read it now in its entirety for free. Just go to relevantmagazine.com and click on the magazine tab. There it is. On that note, we'll wrap it up. I'm Cameron Strang. I'm Jesse Carey. I'm Jamie Ivey. I'm Derek Miner. We will see you on Tuesday. Have a great weekend, everyone.
2: This is what I have an Old Testament!
3: Relevant Podcast Network.
1: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the Fileo fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun, yeah, you get it every time.